Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. What's up, Internet, and welcome back to the Engadget Podcast. I'm senior editor Devinder Hardwar. This week, I'm joined by Engadget reporter Malek Saleh to talk about some news. What's up, Malek? Hello. Thank you for having me. Happy to have you here. And uh, <laughs> you will also hear Ms. Sherlyn Lowe's voice at some point. She is remote. She is off uh, at the Apple campus. She did the hands-ons with the new iPhones. So you will hear Sherlyn's hands-on thoughts on the iPhone 15, the Apple Watch Series 9, if you are here looking for immediate iPhone reactions, uh, go back and listen to the bonus episode we launched this week. Uh, it was me and Engadget Editor-in-Chief Dana Woolman. We immediately responded to the Apple event, so we broke down the specs, the features, our initial thoughts on those things. So all your Apple stuff, check out the episode behind this one. As always, folks, if you're enjoying the show, please be sure to subscribe to the Engadget Podcast on iTunes. Drop us an email at podcastengadget.com. Also, leave us a review on iTunes. That's super helpful, too. And uh, yeah, let's get right to it to my chat with Sherlyn about her thoughts on all the new Apple products. Joining us to talk about everything that happened at Apple's Wonderlust event is Sherlyn Lowe, Deputy Editor. What's up, Sherlyn? I am wondering why the hell I am still here. No, uh, <laughs> I mean, you know why I'm you're exhausted. still there. You I don't know. want to fly out right after the event. Come on. I have. Uh, I just got like a new meeting, so it's actually a good thing I am staying the, today, the extra day. But oh, nice. yeah, currently in San Francisco. And it's I'm exhausted. I got plagued by all the flight uh, delay delays that were you know troubling the East Coast. That was fun. So I got in okay. at like one a.m. to the Apple event. Oh the day man! Before. Well, yeah. Luckily, you didn't miss it. At least, like it could I have know. been so much worse. So uh, Dana and I uh, talked about all the major Apple news. So we went over all the specs and everything and our initial thoughts. So really, Sherlyn, you're free to tell us like what are your overall thoughts. And I've got some questions for you. But what's your main yeah. takeaway from this Apple event? I mean, it's it's two things that stand out to me, I think, and I've made puns of them in my hands-on coverage, which is I'm pretty intrigued by this action button on the iPhone 15 Pro. And then I'm also very uh, into the double-tap gesture on the watch. Yeah. Now, I, I, let's start with watch. I, I, did talk, I did two briefings um, yesterday with Apple, so to, you know, where you get kind of to ask all kinds of questions, get kind of a deeper walkthrough of each product. And I think that on the watch side of things, with the new S9 SIP, um, enabling on-device Siri, changing, making it so that Siri can now, you know, give you your health requests or uh, let you edit your health um, details through voice, I actually think that might be more underrated and quietly groundbreaking than we think. I, I think that is the thing that's really pushing me to this watch too. I'm going right? to just for that. Yeah. yeah. 
I can tell you, I think that like Siri, first of all, if you've used Apple Watch at all so far, you know Siri requests just suck because it, it takes forever for it to find like the signal. It needs to go to the cloud to process all yeah, that it stuff. Has to fir- it has to hit your phone first and then your phone hits the cloud. And then yeah. meanwhile, you're like, I'm waiting, Siri, please, please respond. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I was slightly annoyed because uh, on the plane uh, here to SF from Newark, I w- had a mask on because, you know, it's just gross. And so I kept, I was unlocking my phone the whole time just to like text people frustrated that I was still on the tarmac four or five hours later. Oh, and man. I know, but the thing is, I, I eventually had to enable the feature where like if, you know, unlock with your iPhone, uh, with your Apple watch, right? Because I can't, the mask thing was just not recognizing my face. Fine. <laughs> but like the number of times that didn't work really frustrated me. It worked very well about, I want to say 85% of the time. And then it just didn't work for, I'm kind of worried that like even after, you know, improving Siri, enabling on-device Siri and making that faster, um, that there might still be little like quirks in the way that sure, make the, sure. yeah. the the experience frustrating. But I can tell you this, I I, I do think, it, like we said, is a quiet game changer. I, I think that using your voice to interact with your watch and using your voice to track your health stats like that is is something that sets Apple apart from Samsung's Galaxy watches. And even though the Pixel Watch and Google offer good voice assistant and tight integration with the assistant. I don't think on the same level, though. So, Can you take a step back, Sherlyn? Just tell us, what was the health interactions? Because we heard that, yeah, Siri Siri commands will be on demand. So that's just like weather and stuff. But what are you referring to specifically for health? Yeah. So I'm talking about Siri health requests. Like, uh, because now you can process Siri requests on the watch, it is not being sent somewhere to be processed. Apple is now, I guess, more trusting of the process for people to talk to Siri to do things like, hey, uh, Siri, uh, add one cup of water to my uh, daily intake or something. Hey, Siri, how many steps left to my goals? Uh, Hey, whatever. um, How many calories have I burned today? Start a workout. All of those things. Basically anything to do with tracking your daily health How or asking about your health. So like how many hours did I sleep last night? That sort of thing. It's wild. I would love that for like grocery list stuff too, because I always have trouble like keeping track of grocery lists on my phone. So if I could just like talk to my watch and that is that's the dream. I don't know. I don't know if you're, um, I guess, aware of the comic stuff, Sherlyn, but like Dick Tracy is what everybody goes to yeah. for yeah. You know, talking to your watch or like James Bond stuff or even Knight Rider. But, you know, we want to just talk to our watches more easily and have them actually do stuff. So. This is cool. Um, so did you actually get to test it, test that out during your hands-on? Yeah, none, none of that Siri stuff was, uh, you know, ready for testing. Not that it wasn't ready. I don't think that, I think nobody was able to um, test the the that feature. What I did test was double tap. And I, I think I can talk a little bit more about that here, which is um, double tap to, for anyone that hasn't paid, like watched the Apple event, is a new gesture where y- your watch hand can now let you interact with your smartwatch without touching it. In the same way that, like, you know, the Siri requests do. But imagine you're cooking or you're grocery shopping or you're out on a run and everything. Right, right. And your watch buzzes and there's a message. Or your watch buzzes and you've, uh, you know, there's a workout that you forgot to start. Instead of having to lift your wrist and swipe through whatever and, and you know, you might have grimy fingers or you're running and you don't want to stop to do it. It's just hard can, on the watch, too. Like, it's a small screen. You got to, like, Oh, my God. It's so it. awful. Yeah. I can't yeah, tell yeah. you the number of times I've been, like, walking and I forgot to start the auto outdoor yeah. walk workout. And Hate it prompts it. me. And I'm like, shit, I have to, like, tap, tap, tap. And the tap doesn't always work because it's, like, it's two steps to it. Anyway. Um, now you can use the double tap gesture, which is bringing your thumb to your index finger twice in rapid succession so double tap right it's like a double click but do, do, like um it's an air click basically like an air double click 
which um I, I was also impressed by the Sherlock. This is one of those things. Weirdly, we geek out about just random gestures and stuff. I know. But when I tested out the Vision Pro, there's mm-hmm. a very similar yep. gesture in there for uh, accepting things and for saying, okay. And clearly, I think what's happening here, and I talked about this with Dana, is that Apple's just training us. Apple's training us for all the new gestures we're going to be relying on for the Vision Pro or like future headsets from them. I don't know if you remember the movie Snowpiercer. It also yes, feels love. a little bit like that, like... Well, you everybody has the gesture of like turning and twisting because you uh, you had to fix this machine when you were a child. So it's just this weird thing that Apple is going to introduce to our culture. I do think it's useful. And they're also t- they're tracking in a cool way, right? They said they're tracking tiny movements in your hand. They're yeah. tracking blood flow in your hand to track yeah. that gesture. That's cool. So what I'm uh I ask a lot about this. So um I, and I, I actually, in our briefing with other people, I somehow monopolized the conversation just to talk about good, double tap good. and and how it differs from assistive touch. So to be clear, assistive touch was rolled out in 2021 to Apple Watch, uh, Watch OS. For anyone with a Series 4 and up to be able to navigate uh, their smartwatch, even if they don't have maybe a second limb, a second arm, um, or index finger, or, or fingers, right? So to just use the touchscreen. So assistive touch was an accessibility-minded feature that would use uh, that would allow users to use things like uh, clenching your fist or rotating your limb to kind of uh, navigate through watchOS. It, assistive touch is different from double tap. And this is, again, why I monopolized the conversation because I wanted to understand what was going on here. Good, good, yeah. Assistive touch is very different in the sense that it is something you A, have to first go in and turn on in your watch. Uh, and then it will do this little outline where it's uh, prompting you, hey, is this what you want? Jumping through each uh, element on the screen if you clench your fist, that sort of thing. Whereas double tap is enabled by default. You don't have to do anything to turn it on. And it's available anytime something kind of like happens or is there. So basically from your home screen on the Apple Watch uh, Series 9 or Watch Ultra 2, you lift your wrist. It's active. Your your watch has to be unlocked and awake basically to for you to use double tap. And when you double tap from the home screen, it will bring up the smart stack, which is a feature introduced in WatchOS 10 at WWDC this year. Basically a list of um cards under the homepage that are, you know, intuitively sort of guessing at what you want to do the rest of your day. So then once you bring up the smart stack with your first double tap, the second or subsequent double taps can do either scroll through the cards on smart stack, or if you change the setting uh, in your phone or your watch, um, it will like launch into the first card or the card at the top. So that's kind of the, the the main way you can do it. But the other way that double tap works is whenever sort of an alert is open uh, or pops up on your watch, or if you have a timer app open, that sort of thing. Double tapping basically triggers the primary action button on that app. So if you've uh, opened the timer app, but you haven't started one, if you double tap, you will start the timer. And then double tapping it pauses it or stops it. And then when it's ringing and it comes up, then double tapping it, you know, snoozes it or dismisses Mm it. It happens for calls and all of that stuff. Yeah. It's, It's what Apple is doing is using the same tools it uses to detect blood flow anomalies in your wrist, uh, which would, you know, earlier before double tap was introduced, was used to tell you if you had like heart irregularities, heart rate irregularities, right? right? So So it's using the optical. If you press your fingers together, you probably have like a weird blood flow like blip. You have a restriction sort of, yeah, Yeah, there's a disruption to your blood flow, basically. And so it's not only using that because I was like, you can't, that's not the only piece of information you're using. So they're using that with along with accelerometer and gyroscope information to tell when you're pinching. And so it 
resulted in something that was somewhat, I think, accurate. I think in my testing of it, which I spent a lot of time just trying to trick the system at the hands-on uh, demo area. <laughs> I was just like, okay, yeah. does touching my, does tapping my third finger make a difference? It doesn't work if you touch your middle finger. And I was like, oh, does using my thumb to touch my knuckle uh, 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 trigger the double tap? Nope, it didn't. Um, so yeah, it's pretty precise. I think also the fact that it has to be a double tap and not just one tap prevents the accidental triggers a lot more. That, that makes uh, sense. Yeah. Yeah. So it comes off more deliberate when you're doing it. I mean, I don't know. It's something simple, but I feel like I'm a little bit, you know, surprised simple, and wowed. Simple yet brilliant, I think, is one of the, like, this is like a purely Apple thing in a way, because yeah. you've seen other companies try like gestures, right? Samsung and LG have tried, like, hey, uh, on your front facing camera, you can swipe your phone and your phone will move. And that stuff never really worked. Whereas, mm -hmm. This this seems like more generally useful. Uh, I want to say you brought up assistive touch, which is a feature on the Apple Watch and iPhone. There's also back tap on iPhone, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm, with uh, with mm -hmm. iOS 14, where you can like tap the back of your phone. So that is also an accessibility feature, which is something not many people are aware of. But you can do all sorts of cool stuff like this. I almost wonder, Sherlyn, if uh, if Apple's going to like unlock other gestures that you could program to do sort of some things like if you just uh stick up a middle finger with your while you're wearing your watch does it take a screenshot of a of somebody in front of you because they're being annoying like something like that like i can imagine that would be cool programming those I, gestures. i i think we're, we're we're starting to see apple think about yeah hands-free interaction with our devices way more now that we've got Together with Vision Pro, together with Apple Watch, you're thinking about how you're seeing how Apple envisions its combined device ecosystem uh, more. This year, I think this year, in fact, that might be the theme. I think we're thinking about um, when Google, I think a few years ago, was telling me about its um, idea of ambient computing, kind of that, that being its vision for the years forward. <laughs> we're starting to see this idea kind of coalesce with Apple. Um, and yeah, no, I wouldn't be surprised if we see more gestures. Obviously, I don't think Apple being Apple would ever enable anything to do with the middle finger. But I think this <laughs> this quite naturally brings us to the action button. Um, but I do want to quickly, like, you know, I, I'm sure you already know sort of some of the updates on the Apple Watch Series 9 and Ultra 2. But um, it, it's also a good point to kind of talk about fine woven, I guess. I've talked about... Uh, obviously yeah, we talked one, about them giving yeah. up on leather, which is interesting. Yeah. So tell me about fine woven, which is the new material they're kind of pushing yeah. instead. Fine woven um, is part of Apple 2030, which I don't know if you and Dana have talked about this, but our team rightly, mm -hmm. rightly called out how vague this silly little mm -hmm. term is. Honestly, Apple 2030, it's our, it's our green thing for goals. Yeah, sure. It's really, it's uh, com the company wants to be net carbon neutral by the year 2030. And it's, you know, did a giant sketch featuring Octavia Spencer as Mother Nature uh, to kind of break down what's going on. But it I think it ended up being distracting more than it really helped me understand what was happening here. Um, they did follow it up with a more informative presentation that talked about how they're trying to get to carbon neutral. So the Apple Watch Series 9 and Ultra 2 are, um, you know, first... Uh, this is the first Apple Watches that are fully carbon neutral, uh, especially if you pair them with certain uh, bands. So if you use a sport loop, it's uh, carbon neutral for sure because there's no metal sure. on the bands. So I, the way I, I think it's worth it, keep saying they, they brought up the term carbon net neutral. I think yeah, that yeah, yeah, is, yeah, net carbon that's neutral. actually key because it's like talking about net profits, right? It is, yeah. well, it is <laughs> the carbon after, like after they put in all the, oh, we planted some forests, so let's c yeah. cut off that carbon from the cost of this, yeah. And, 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 Apple itself will bring this up uh, a lot in the sense that like they're aware that net carbon neutrality is um 
it's kind of flawed of a way to describe things, right? Because you're you can't you can easily achieve net carbon neutrality if you have a lot of money to buy carbon credits, you have exactly. a lot of money to plant trees exactly. and forests, but that doesn't really solve the issue of waste of like carbon emissions, really. Um, so what Apple is stressing that is that like it's really trying to look at its um, manufacturing processes, its products, and reducing the amount of like new wasteful material going into it, and using a lot of recycled, recyclable materials. Um, I don't know how much I commend them for this. I think I think it's good that Apple is paying attention, right? But I don't know how much I can, I can see this. We can like, be aware. Like a lot of well, companies do this. Like they a lot of companies talk about how good they are to the environment, right? And Dane and I were talking about the concept of greenwashing, where these companies will be like, yeah, we we bought all these carbon yeah. credits, we planted yeah. some trees, therefore we are doing good. It's something, but there have been a lot of studies that carbon credits specifically don't actually amount to much when it comes to actual waste. Yeah. I mean, my one last thought around just this general idea of greenwashing and like making themselves look good is that ultimately uh, Apple's goal is still to get you to buy more iPhones and Apple Watches, which right, is right. still quite wasteful if you think about it. But anyway, moving on to Fine Woven. It's part of this Apple 2030 vision in in the sense that uh, Apple is like, oh, leather bad. Leather bad for environment. Let's no, no leather. So not only is uh, Apple no longer selling uh, leather accessories, it's also kind of working with some of its partners like Hermes and Nike to no longer sell their leather accessories through the Hermes Apple Store. Hermes is not or... giving up on leather. Hermes will never give Hermes up on leather. Hermes itself is not giving up on yeah. leather, but for but the Apple for Watch, Apple. it's made some mm-hmm. of these new woven bands uh, that I think Hermes is like, yeah, cool. These are these are nice, but they, they're not our standard it's, Hermes. It's you know what I mean? Like, because Apple is both sort of shaming them yeah. Like, uh, look, look at you, high-class, $1,000 uh, leather bag company. Please work with us to, yeah. to create this other thing. I don't know, it's funny. quite funny. Um, so so for Apple's own, uh, its own made accessories and bands, it's come up with Fine Woven, which is a material uh, that it's kind of created itself. I think it's part of some of it. Something like 60-something percent of it is uh, made from recycled material. Um, and it's... Meant to be also kind of premium feeling, so you don't get that nylon woven feel to it. I've touched it. How did it feel to you? It felt kind of furry at first, and then someone told me (laughs) it was supposed to be. Yeah, it's kind of like furry paper almost, and I was like, wait, what? Um, No, and someone at Apple was like, "Uh, no, it's meant to like be like suede. And I was like, ah, okay, yeah, yeah, it feels like… So it differs depending on the the thing I was touching, right? When I touched the new like um wallet case for the MagSafe wallet case in Fine Woven, that felt premium. And I think it had something to do with the sort of nuts and bolts under the case, the frame of the case itself. Whereas when I was touching a magnetic loop or uh, a different iPhone case for the iPhone 15 Pro Max that uh, just some person standing out in the, the demo area had, that felt almost not cheap, but just not as great. Um... So it does feel like suede, but it can be different depending on I, what I it's on. That that is very much like suede too. Like there are suede things yeah. that feel awful, and then there are yeah. suede things that feel great. So yeah. So my my yeah. thing is, I'm I get a little like I have not tryptophobia. What that is, I have a bit of a texture reaction to things. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So lenticular cards are my worst nightmare. I can't touch them. It's just terrible for me. So I, I get a similar feeling from from this. You really shouldn't uh, reveal that information, Sherlyn. I know to everyone. Another thing not that we can just gonna. use against you in the future. But okay, okay. I'll yeah. Smile that away. It's like. Rats and lenticular things. Yeah, like, oh, yeah. ugh, lenticular ugh. rats. Let's get some. God, hidden oh my desk. God. 
Oh, oh my god. Anyway, um, so no, Fine Wolf and I did also see it on a magnetic loop band for the Apple Watch Series 9. That one also felt fine. Again, the, Apple's thing is like they wanted to feel premium. I'm like, sure, I guess. Uh, I also think they're not set in stone with Fine Woven. I think they may make other d- materials sure. uh, or finishes for Fine Woven or similar types of things. D- um, Dana mentioned that it was funny that they didn't talk about vegan leather, which is something a lot of companies do, which is fake leather, pleather, yeah. basically yeah. plastic. Um, yeah. I, th- I think Apple's like, we- we're never going to say that because that is basically a plastic material and we're just not going to play that game. We're going to do our they, own game, you know? Yeah. It's also very Apple to be like, to solve this problem, we've made right. a new material. We made a whole new Instead thing. of adopting, yeah, instead of, you know, we're so smart, we're geniuses, you know, the genius bar. Um, and it's very, yeah, it's very Apple to be like, we don't like leather, so we're not even going to say the word vegan leather because we, we've forgotten the word leather. We've, you know, dropped it from yeah, our dictionary. It's on Apple, yeah. Yeah. Um, so no. So anyway, back to that point about like just, you know, Apple making new gestures or, or actions and, you know, you being able to launch your shortcut by flipping the middle finger. Um, no, I wish. <laughs> when you, I wish. I know. I would love that. <laughs> when you when you mentioned that the first thing my brain jumped to was action button. I think action buttons actually not new to the world of smartphones, to be clear. We've got we had remember Samsung with the Bixie Bixie. Bixby button, they refuse to let anyone remap. <laughs> like well, screw you. Screw you, Samsung. What was that? Anyway. Um Apple has got the action button um in place of the you know profile slider. And I can't really talk about how I know this. Well, in place of the um, mute slider, right? It yeah, was a exactly. Mute slider typically, yeah. So apparently, uh, this was a not popular feature whatsoever. Apparently, mm. people would just set their phones on silent and never change it again. I change my slider every I now do it and all then. The time. Yeah, right. So, so uh, I don't know. If, okay, like y'all listen to this and just don't tell Apple I said it. But in some sort of in in a group situation, there was a question asked that's, that was like, oh, how many of you used this uh, slider? And me and Chris Velasco, our friend, raised our hands. And then You're everyone else, this people. was a... Right, well, everyone else in this group was like um, media or influencers. And it was like maybe like three or four other people. None, none of them use it. They were like, we leave it and set it. And me and V were the only ones. And we were told we were the minority of um, people who have iPhones and whatnot. Uh, now joining the minority is you, Devendra. Apparently, I, all I did was I'll say, yeah, we're power users, baby. Well, it's like, more like and, yeah. I, I can't. I, I've talked to people who like just leave their phones in silent all the time because they're always wearing Apple Watches. So they get their notifications in other ways. But I don't, you know. And right. I need to, if uh, my kid's school calls, I need to be aware of that. Alerted, yeah. Be in blissful silent mode. Yeah. A lot of parents that I know actually do this. They leave their wa- their phone on loud. But sometimes you need to change it to silent mode when you go into a meeting yeah. or whatever. So, yeah. I, you know, I'm not a parent, but I can find it. I'm going to use the action button as a meet button. Like, that's me. Yeah. But, you so, know. so let's go into detail about the action button, which is something else I went ham on during a meeting. <laughs> I was like, listen, tell me how this works. Listen, um, I, I appreciate that, Sherlyn. Like, let me just tell you, like, when you do these meetings, it's sort of like going back to school, right? Going to college or something. And the, the kids who are, like, very vocal will always be raising their hands and asking questions. But I also think a lot of a lot of folks are like, this is how often you get to sit down and talk to engineers, you know, ask some questions. So I appreciate it, Sherlyn. Yeah. Uh, action button, I think I also was able to spend a bunch of time testing it out on a demo of a unit. So I feel like I'm very familiar with it now. Um, it sits where, yeah, the volume slider would normally be. And, and it's quite identifiable by its size. Um, it's smaller than the volume buttons and about the same depth to press, basically. It wouldn't 
be Apple if it was asymmetrical or and whatever. And I just want to make this clear. The action button is only on the iPhone Pro phone. So it's the only the, yes, the Pro yeah. 15 and 15 Max, uh, 15 Pro Max. Yeah. 15 Pro, 15 Pro Max. Um, and so, but the way it works is interesting. It's not just a single press, a single, simple single press that will, you know, change your, your volume from, you know, ring to silent. It's a long press. Um, and I think this is done deliberately. You want to not, you know, accidentally, uh, trigger or change your mode. So your phone's suddenly ringing when you think it's, you know, silenced in the cinema. I am skeptical about really, honestly, how well this will work. I think that, Long press is still as easy to trigger um, in my purse when I am squeezing yeah. it by accident. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see. But I've, I've accidentally hit the mute switch, you know, like when oh, I'm moving my thing in my bag or something. So uh, that happens okay. too. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so shit happens. But mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> the action button, I think, is more intriguing for me because you can remap it. Because I think, again, so few people are actually needing that toggle to quickly jump between, you know, ring and silent modes that you can use it for something else. And that's nice for me. And the options include uh, starting your favorite uh, shortcut, which, you know, if you've used the shortcuts widget at all, you'll know how to, like, create a shortcut, really, and have that be what the action button does. Or you can use it to uh, switch between different focus modes. You can trigger the camera or the voice recording or voice memo I, i've seen um, from people you could trigger the camera and use it as a shutter button so that's actually yes pretty so, useful. So, so you don't have to move your fingers it's like oh something's yes. happening camera picture go so the, the the yeah that's one of my favorite things about action button as well is like when you're when you're going into each of these uh settings you can change for example uh not only does it change focus mode you can also use action button to set it to be like with one tap i want this specific focus mode oh, okay. uh with the camera button i want it to be uh launching selfie mode or long zoom or whatever it is like whatever your your you know there's basically different settings within each um action button action that you can choose to be the default thing that launches and yes like you said right like when you launch a voice memo or when you launch the camera shortcut with action button the action button then becomes the action button for whatever's in that app so it can be a trigger um or it can be actual action um, button interesting yeah yeah, it which is nice so basically when you've launched it you use it again uh i actually let me I was gonna start playing around with it um to kind of see if it can be used in other apps in the sense that like if you have an app open and you press the action button, what does it do? But what I'm realizing is that basically anywhere on the phone, if you're say inside a different app or whatever and you press the action button, it will just do whatever it is programmed to do. So it doesn't behave as a trigger in any other situation unless you first press it to do what you want and then subsequently press it again to um you know launch that, that whatever sense. it That's is logical. Yeah. Exactly. It is logical yeah. because you do want the shortcut to be always available for you no matter what your phone is doing. Um, yeah. So by default, it is, again, a, a profile changer for ring or silent, but it's so much more useful. It's, just it the sounds way. kind of smart, too. Like, even even when it comes to the mute functionality, like, I'm probably just going to keep it there for a while, but it, there's haptics involved. So when you... Uh, I hear when you hold it down, you will get a double buzz that you're in mute yeah. mode. And when so you when get you, out of mute mode, it's a single buzz. Yeah. Yeah, so when you tap it once, because it doesn't work with just a simple press, um, the there's an on-screen element that says hold down to trigger or whatever. And the dynamic island actually changes to tell you what the action button has been designed to do. Nice. So, yeah, okay. so you're never, like, at a loss for what you're actually trying to achieve. Um, I also want to talk about some things that, like, from my hands-on experience that you probably couldn't see in the videos or from the press releases, and that is titanium. I actually think... The two iPhone 15, the iPhone 15 Pros now use titanium. And yeah, they're significantly lighter. I don't know the actual number difference, but I know that 
based on hand feel, <laughs> the thing. I, I've seen the yeah. gram difference, like in figure wise, it's like maybe 10%, maybe 9% of the pro, but yeah. I'm more interested. You notice it, right? You notice yes. it feels different. Yes. That's cool. It's also in part because the, um, the finish is a bit different. I do like the brushed, uh, brush metal look. I like that it, in my opinion, it rejects fingerprints better. I don't know why I saw on X or threads that like it's uh doesn't is a fingerprint magnet, but it's actually like a matte finish, very reminiscent of previous pro models. But the one thing that's different is that the edges are no longer as sharp as previous pro and pro max models. So it feels less like a weapon. And I think in my hands-on, if you've not yet read it, go do because uh, I've got a lot of written gems in there. Um, I, I said <laughs> that if the iPhone 14 Pro Max felt like it would crush my skull into pieces if I dropped it on my face while reading in bed, the iPhone 15 Pro Max feels like it would only gently dent my cranium. So It can be a little black eye. You know, it's okay. Yeah, a little um, bruisey bruise. Well, that's what I'm thinking, specifically when it comes to the Pro Max, Roland, because uh, we've talked about this. I've always felt the the Pro Max phones have been way too heavy. They basically weigh in mm-hmm. half a pound. Um, I have big hands, and even I find them too heavy and a little too large. Does this one feel light enough that you would actually want to use it more regularly compared to the normal Pro? I definitely don't feel like as weighed down by it when I hold it compared to the 14 Pro Max. I still don't want to use this one as my main. I think I'm still going to do a 15 Pro as my main. Um, but I will say, yeah, it's much less of a pain to imagine having to live with this thing for a, for a bit of time while I eventually review it. Um, so no, I mean, yeah, the titanium feels great. The finishes in person, I've been asked what these titanium finishes look like. You've got the colors of white, blue, black, and quote, natural titanium, which... I mean, I I would say colors, quote unquote, because they're all like, um, it all looks like metal. And uh, one one is a little blue, one is a little black, one is a little white. I I would have loved bolder colors, but I guess you can't do that. I know. I'm a little bit annoyed because like if you look at the color lineup for the iPhone 15s, which by the way might be the best thing about those phones, it's so pretty. You've got the pink, blue, green, yellow, black. And they have the colors going into the little camera square too, which is nice. It's just a nice look. Yeah, It's it's just the way it's infused into the entire back glass is the way they've done it. And it has this frosted finish that looks similar to iPhone Pro models. So if they were able i mean uh, whatever i want more co- apple if you're listening give me more ki- colors for the titanium phones for the they, it's Come like on. i don't think they can because they are so focused on giving us like premium metals on the pro phones and you can only do so much like that's the unfortunate yeah. thing so i get fine. that I, I, i'm all in on natural titanium i like the silver um Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's um I think not that much more I can really tell you that is okay. like a, a hands-on impression. I'm trying to think well, what uh, else. I mean, what about iPhone... the Zoom? What about the 15 yeah. Pro Max Extra Zoom? Yeah, to to that point, which is like I I, I tried it on the uh at the demo unit, uh, but I can't really tell you because like I use my iPhone 14 Pro to get up to 15x uh on a subject far away. It was one of my, our influencer friends from across the giant room at Steve Jobs Theater, um, and then I used the demo 14 uh, 15 Pro Max to get to another influencer. I don't know their name, um, <laughs> okay. and I got up to 25x. Right, I can't really tell you right how good or well i mean because if you're going be. that far you're going to digital zoom and stuff right? yeah, so, yeah yeah so so but the the optical zoom itself i mean i can tell you that like you don't feel anything moving if that makes a difference you don't no, you, don't you don't get a, yeah. Anything, yeah um it, it it seems to have good quality but all, i all what i'm trying to say is that i can't tell you comparing a sample photo off a demo unit to you, my and you phone. probably didn't 
you probably didn't have that much time. I totally get yeah. it. Yeah, um, but I, yeah. but I, um, I will say the one thing that I did notice, and I did also mention this in my hands-on, is that like, yeah, as you get close past five x, in fact, past I think ten x or twenty x, um, this little small uh preview window shows up on the top left of the viewfinder to kind of show you where in the scene you actually are, so that if you needed to find a, a subject that you've lost track of while you're that close, <laughs> uh, cool. you yeah. can find it again. Yeah, so it's pretty what pretty much the same as what uh, Samsung. And Google do on their like extreme zoom phones, but you know it's nice to see Apple also like made sure to include it. I was like the thing I've been wavering on because this is my year to upgrade myself. I'm on the 13 Pro right now. I like do I do I just go Pro Max? Do I get the big yeah. big boy screen and everything? Do I get that big camera? And I just I feel like I'm still more impressed by Apple cramming really cool tech into smaller phones. Yeah, so I'm probably still going to go 15 Pro. So yeah, yeah, I me feel too. Like my mind is made up at this point. How do you feel these phones compare to like the Android competition now, Sherlyn? Oh, that's. I mean, they're closer, right? Because one of the things that Apple had been missing from the Android side of things was this kind of optical zoom, optical quality zoom. Um, I am, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm curious to see how the new portrait mode uh, actually works. I think it's so intriguing. I think that some of that chat about like different focal lengths in their camera was just, uh, I don't know, more Apple trying to sound like, you know, professionals making prosumer tools and that sort of thing. I don't know necessarily how much it will impact my daily life. I want, I really want to see how this new rich depth Mac map um affects the portrait quality because i've always it's just been so hit or miss with portraits in it looks a um, lot better iPhones. the hdr looks better yeah yeah the cameras really are intriguing now um and 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 if we're talking about the android competition let's talk about USB-C. there's a little bit of confusion around the charging speeds the data transfer rates so iphone 15 and 15 plus the base models they support usb 2.0 so you get transfers of whatever the previous lightning transfer rate was which is i think 480 uh yes like pretty slow. not yeah, great yeah. slow if you go up to the pro models you have the a17 pro chip that has its usb little I don't know engine or something um, and it supports up to USB 3.0 so up to 10 Gbps um, for data transfers the charge rate on the two phones is I asked several times um, it is basically the same as last year's models Um which is sad, I guess. I, w- I will say, that's that's pretty disappointing. I saw commentary from other technology columnists, too. Like, there, when Mark Ehrman, uh, the Bloomberg reporter who uh, guested with us for the preview, like, he had mentioned, like, maybe we'll see faster charging because you have faster speeds uh, and maybe, you know, the better USB engine on the pros. I'm a little disappointed we don't have that, but I guess I guess we'll live. I don't know. Like, are Android phones charging much faster these days? You can achieve faster charging on a lot of Android phones. Um Samsung actually has quite fast charging um, and also because they're using significantly larger batteries sometimes it makes sense. What Apple will say in its uh, language is that 50% in 30 minutes is kind of uh, what you're going to get. I, I mean, yeah, I you have to use the, you know, you, and they don't supply bricks in the box, by the way. So yeah. Um, and, and what I found yeah, interesting yeah. is that yeah, if you buy an iPhone 15, whether it's the Pro or the base, you'll get a new USB-C cable in there. It's the braided sort of cable, so it's a little bit better than your standard will break in one year cable. Um, and it That's supports nice. something. Yeah. And it supports the USB 2 transfer rate as opposed to USB 3, regardless of which model you get, which I think is interesting. Another thing I just found out uh, after the event is you can use your iPhone to charge uh, other devices. Um, like AirPods or or other iPhones through this USB-C uh, situation at a rate of something like 4.5 watts. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. 
it's something, um, it, and, and that puts it, I guess, closer to parity with the Android side of things on on charging speeds, on on you know being able to power deliver other devices. I think Samsung has Apple a little bit here, right? Because you can use the yeah. mirror of Galaxy phones to just wirelessly charge other devices, right? Too, which and, I don't and think Pixel you can do phones. with iPhones yet. Yeah, right. You can't do it with iPhones. You can do it on Pixel. Yeah. I mean, Apple can barely figure out its own wireless charging. Yep. Yep. Um, <laughs> I mean, it supports C two right now, so sure, C C two. Um, yeah, I will say though, like Samsung, yes, good battery and good uh, battery charging, but notorious for exploding phones. So I think <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little let's, a uh, little problem there, a little problem. Let's but maybe also, not give them so much credit. <laughs> I think Samsung's camera work is is pretty phenomenal. Like from what people are showing off, I see no. like clips on like I see clips Samsung? on like. Yeah, Sam. Well, at least yeah, definitely the Samsung zooms. Like people in the uh, nosebleed seats at Taylor Swift concerts, like doing the full zoom and getting a pretty good shot of her on stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, so like yeah. stuff like that, you can't really do. Samsung definitely, exactly. Samsung definitely has Apple beat uh, when it comes to zooming, uh, optical lens quality, and I think Google also has Apple beat on that front. But on a lot of other things, I think Samsung does pretty poorly in its cameras. Just. If you are the sort of person that will zoom in to see the pixel by pixel sort of situation, yeah, Samsung definitely doesn't um, beat either Google or Apple. Right now, I will say I think the race is on between Google and Apple on the like standard daily photography side just to see how they do. Uh, arguably, Apple still is and will retain its crown as the best like video camera. Uh, it looks on a pretty phone. sick. It looks like it's, yeah. it's covering better formats. It's uh, they're doing the yeah. thing on the Pro phones where you the can plug Asus in support. Yeah, you can plug in storage and just like yeah. record directly to the storage yeah. to the that's, external SSD. That's yeah. kind of cool. Like actually making yeah. them Pro devices. So that's pretty cool. Well, you know what, Sherlyn, I'm sure you're going to be getting ready to head out soon. Uh, any broader yes. thoughts about the event or what you're what you didn't see? Anything you're disappointed by? I thought the event was not because I was reading back my live blog because I'm narcissistic and I. I, I <laughs> <laughs> remember the event started out with this big video that was focusing on like all these people celebrating birthdays that they wouldn't otherwise have had maybe had they not had an Apple device. And I thought that that was going to be the whole theme this year. But really, what did we see by way of life-saving technologies that Apple introduced this uh, event? Uh, roadside assistance via satellite, maybe? And then we've don't really have much on the Apple Watch. We have brighter screens. We have, and then Apple seemed to like forget about that and went all straight to like, oh, Mother Earth. It felt not very cohesive as a theme. I think usually we get more of a of a cohesive or a theme around around these events. And yeah, that's just uh, didn't happen this year. I think it was kind of a, a mishmash of things. Um, but that's not. A huge problem. That's just me, you know, thinking literally and wanting wanting more of a of a cohesion around event like that. Otherwise, though, I am excited to dig into some of these devices and let y'all know how you know I really feel after spending some time with them. I mean, it's more exciting than last year. I'll put it that way because last year yeah. I had like no inclination to upgrade, whereas now it's like okay, yeah, dynamic island and cool metal and some cool stuff. Uh, Action well, button, great. Yeah, good luck heading back, Sherlyn. We're looking forward to your review and your further thoughts on this. Where can people find you online these days? I am on Engadget.com. I am on uh, threads at Sherlyn Instagram, C-H-E-R-L-Y-N-N-S-T-A-G-R-A-M. You can always send me emails at C-H-E-R at Engadget.com. Cool, thank you. Okay, thanks so much to Sherlyn. I hope she makes it back safely because, uh, man flights right now are just kind of a mess. Malak, you have not had a chance to speak at all this episode. So do you have any thoughts about any of the new hardware 
uh, Apple introduced? Because you're our health reporter. I'm sure some of the Apple Watch stuff probably seemed intriguing to you. Yeah. In terms of the double tap, I thought that it was extremely interesting that they're bringing that to uh, the forefront and they're making it available, not just from an accessibility standpoint, but just for everyone to use. I think it's going to make the watch a lot more easy to integrate into our daily lives. Yeah. I mean, I think both Sherlyn and I really like the double tap feature too, Malak. And you know, the really cool thing is the what this will mean for the future, right? Because this is a gesture we saw in the Vision Pro, and um, Apple is clearly like tr- just training us for what's next. So I th- find that kind of fascinating, too. But, uh, you know, you also spent some time with a very popular wearable, but not from Apple. You spent time with the Samsung Galaxy Watch 6. What is up with that thing? Yeah, I definitely have some thoughts on the Galaxy Watch 6. So in terms of hardware, the screen display got bigger. It- sleeker from the last generation. The battery life got improved. Um, But what I really wanted to focus on was how it performed as a health and fitness tracker. And just to name a few of the major updates in that regard, it introduced um, IHRN or regular heart rate rhythm notifications. And it finally got FDA approval uh, for this wearable to monitor people's wrists basically for AFib which is atrial fibrillation. If you have a heart condition, it'll be able to pick that up. But is, it is, is it worth... doing it the same way as the Apple Watch does? I'm just wondering. Yes. Okay. Yes. And actually, I was just about to say that it it is pretty late to the game. Apple has had FDA approval for its IHRN feature since like 2018. So Samsung is pretty behind, but it is new for them. And then in terms of other things that are really worth noting, it introduced personalized heart rate zones, which basically continues with their theme of customizing your workouts. So it's basically designed, it's a tool designed for runners that will help a runner keep tabs on how their heart rate zone data is doing. It it shows them insights on like personal exertion levels. And, you know, by keeping tabs on that kind of data, you're able to tailor your workouts to reach specific goals, um, whether it's fat burning, endurance improvement, or cardiovascular conditioning. So they are definitely upping their game in terms of fitness, and that might be putting them on par with with competitors like Garmin that are really fitness-focused. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Dana, like whenever we talk about fitness stuff, Dana always mentions Garmin because she is a major runner and Garmin stuff like was always better, even though it's not as sleek as Apple's or even Samsung's. I'm wondering, Malak, like how does, you know, the Galaxy Watch 6 compare to the Apple Watch at this point? I feel like that is the main comparison a lot of people make, especially if maybe they're considering changing platforms or something. Um, Any like, yeah, it's getting late to AFib. It's getting late to a lot of features. Do you think it's more catch up? Like, do you think they're at least on par at this point? They're definitely catching up. I will say, a full, full disclaimer, I have been a traditional Apple user. I'm not in the Android ecosystem. So a lot of times when I was reviewing the watch, I made natural distinctions between the Samsung Galaxy Watch 6 and the Apple Watch Series 8, which is the latest. Um, they have a lot of the same features in terms of tracking health health metrics, like whether it's improved sleep metrics and sleep coaching or, you know, being able to customize your workouts or, you know, tracking your menstrual cycle. I feel like they are offering a lot of the same things today, but in terms of sleep, I would say that the the Samsung Galaxy Watch 6 is actually more comfortable to sleep with. And I don't know if it's because it has 
a circular bezel or if if the band itself has a lot to do with it. But I find it way more easy to sleep with with the Samsung Galaxy Watch Six. Um, and then Is obviously, tracking like on par sleep wise between Samsung and Apple. I would say that the sleep tracking capabilities of the Samsung Galaxy Watch Six are pretty on par with the Apple Watch, but it's comparable to the Fitbit. Um, the only difference is the Galaxy Watch does not have a barrier to exporting your health data, whereas the Fitbit does. You have to be a premium member, so they they kind of win in that regard. But in terms of how I would compare the Apple Watch to the Samsung Galaxy Watch Six, they're pretty close, but the Apple, at the end of the day, the Apple Watch Series 8 costs more. So it, it comes down to whether or not you're an Android lover or an Apple lover, but they are getting closer in terms of like what features are mm-hmm. available. And you're saying closer to the Series 8. I mean, yeah, we just saw the Series 9 get announced. And I feel like that that alone introduced a bunch of new features too. So it's, it feels like Samsung's always going to play a little bit of catch up, even though they were technically first to getting a smartwatch out there. Uh, I remember when that like that whole story dropped. Uh, how do you? I know you haven't had much experience with the Pixel Watch, uh, Malak, but you know, just feature-wise, is there anything like any major comparison you can make between those? I feel like for Android users, Samsung stuff generally has been the stuff to go to, right? Yeah, definitely. And I think with uh, a lot of the Wear OS four uh, software updates, we're going to be seeing a lot of. Uh, through through lines between the Pixel and uh, the Samsung Galaxy Watch 6. We're going to see more third-party app integration. Um, but in terms of the Samsung Galaxy Watch 6 standing out as an Android smartwatch, it really does seem to be that the, the, the smartwatch ecosystem is is not getting boring, but there's a lot of the same happening everywhere. Yeah. A lot of the fitness tra- a lot of the fitness tracking, a lot of the um, third party integration, a lot of the day to day usage is is pretty much the same. Unless you're get going for a budget fitness tracker, where you'll well you where you won't get as much smart features. Um, and with the Wear OS updates, you're getting a lot more capability to integrate things like the Samsung Galaxy Watch into your daily life with things like samsung um pay you know so it's happening like something is happening on the android yeah. front um you know when we normally talk about the stuff uh sherlin is typically the google fan girl and uh i know our listeners always always love how much we talk about apple stuff too um it does seem like it's nice that the android ecosystem is getting a little better when it comes to wearables because i feel like things have been just kind of dead for a while. Uh, Google buying Fitbit, always it felt like a good thing for Google, but maybe not necessarily a good thing for Fitbit. So I guess we'll see what that leads to for the Pixel Watch. But yeah, any other thoughts on the Galaxy Watch Six, Malak? Just one final thought. Basically, I can't I can't truly say if it's the best Android smartwatch on the market right now. But my final takeaway after playing with it for for weeks is that because of the price tag it's it's not a it's not a bad buy but if you are already a, a Samsung Galaxy Watch 5 owner the previous generation you're not getting that much of an update from the last gen um because most of the updates are software based you might not be getting the most bang for your buck but it definitely is evolving just not in a major major way and i think the room for evolution is 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 it's getting shorter and shorter if they want to compete with other big smartwatch makers in the industry. Thank you so much, Malak. And uh, yeah, people can check out your full written review of the Galaxy Watch 6 at Engadget.com. Uh, did you do a video for that? Like, can we see it in action? 
Yes, we did do a video for that. It's on our channel. I did a review of it, mostly as a health and fitness tracker, though. Very cool. Go check that out, folks. Let's move on to some other news. And uh, I think the big story this week, aside from Apple, is um, not so good news for Google, I guess. Like the uh, the U.S. versus Google trial has begun. We mentioned it last week. And uh, we have gone through, what, two days of the trial so far. Um, nothing super consequential, although I do think it is um, fascinating to me to see how much the government's lawyer is positioning this whole situation. So this trial uh, is the government taking Google to task because uh, it believes its search dominance um, could be monopolistic, that Google did potentially illegal things to keep a stranglehold on the search market and to make it harder for competitors to join in. Specifically, it seems like they're focusing on those deals to get the Google, uh, to make Google the default search engine on iPhones and other phones, uh, other platforms as well. Like uh, the government is finding that all a little fishy right now. At one point, uh, the government's lawyer said like, this is a monopolist flexing. Um, I just find that like the language is very strong and uh, we, this thing will take while, a while. Like this is going to, this trial will last over 10 weeks. Um, it's going to be a while before there are any final decisions. I believe there is no jury for this. This is all up to the judge, but yeah, this trial is something we're going to be following because it means uh, this is the biggest effort the U.S. government has taken against uh, the technology world um, since the Microsoft antitrust trial. Um, so th this could lead to major things. It could lead to a potential breakup of components of Google. So that could be something. Or if Google wins, um, it could it could mean like the government's pursuit against other tech firms may be a little more muted. Maybe they won't go so hard because it's very hard to prove monopoly in this sign right now. And um, yeah. You know, the language is very strong. Uh, we, it's hard to say. Like, I've seen people ask, like, okay, what is the judge thinking at this point? Uh, he does not seem uh, particularly leaning on either side. The language right now is coming from uh, the government's lawyer. So the government's lawyers are very, very adamant about this case. Like, basically, they have a very strong case. Um, they also mentioned some details, too, that... Um, let me see here. On the second day of the trial, Apple's lawyers got in the fray and they contested um, some information that was leaked out uh, on the first day. Uh, the government's lawyer had mentioned that, uh, you know, Google had paid up to $10 billion to Apple and other companies to keep its search engine in tops. And amid that whole conversation, they had... Uh, they had said some numbers. I'm reading from the Washington Post here. The Apple's complaint is that uh, the in the ruling, um, the government's lawyer specifically said Google paid Apple uh, $4 to $7 billion. They didn't want that information public, but the judge didn't seem to care. They didn't think like that was any uh, privilege information or anything like that. We're going to get a lot of tidbits from this trial. It's going to be going on for a while, but it's a pretty big deal. So pay attention, folks. And uh, yeah, stay tuned for more updates. In other news, I wrote up this thing about Intel officially unveiling Thunderbolt 5. Malak, does the name Thunderbolt mean anything to you? You know, you're a tech reporter, but I wonder, do you even care about this stuff? If I'm being completely honest, no. <laughs> I don't think anybody. I, I think very few people, uh, even among the tech crew, understand like what the whole Thunderbolt thing is. So let's let's like refresh here. Intel officially announced Thunderbolt 5. Uh, Thunderbolt was this idea that Intel had. Um, Intel and a couple other companies, I believe even Apple was like on board early on. Um, it was like the early 2010s, maybe 2009 or so. But there was this dream of creating a cable, a single cable that could handle data, that could handle power, 
and that could also push video to like a monitor or something, a single cable that could do it all. And we are now five versions in, and it seems like better than ever. So if you see that little lightning cable on some USB-C ports, that's what it is. I think it's one of those things, if you know, you know. If you need a super fast uh, hard drive, if you need like super fast data transfer, you know what you're looking for in something like this. And this latest version, Thunderbolt 5, looks better than ever. I think it really uh, hits a lot of the complaints people have had against Thunderbolt for a while. Um, The total bandwidth for this thing, potentially up to 120 gigabits per second. That is um, three times as fast as Thunderbolt 3 and 4. Um, that's also three times as fast as actually, no, it's much, much faster. So Thunderbolt five is built on USB four. This is a whole dance of names that is going to confuse everybody, but it, it's hilarious. Um, USB four also uses the USB-C slot can potentially go up to 120 gigabits, but it's not required to do so. So it's all very confusing. Uh, Intel's big push with Thunderbolt 5 is that it's just making some straight up requirements, straight up requirement that every Thunderbolt 5 port will support at least 80 gigabits per second, potentially up to 120 gigabits. Um, they'll also they, there will be support for two 6K monitors uh, on a single port. Um, I believe here at least one port will support charging. Um, the, the technology itself can support up to 240 watts of charging through a single cable, which is pretty impressive because that is um, when you're talking like gaming laptops and stuff, those can easily go up upwards of 200 watts. So this is a cable that can power your gaming laptops um, you know, with an appropriate AC adapter. Seems faster than ever. Seems nicer than ever. It's just more confusing than ever. Because, uh, yeah, that's, it's, it's just another Thunderbolt sign on your computer. And you have, to, you have to look at specific cables to see if like they support the specific number of Thunderbolt. None of this makes any sense. But uh, listen, this ended up being like one of our top performing stories on the site this week, which shows that like Engadget readers just really love some of this nitty gritty nerdy stuff. And Intel is in the midst of uh, introducing its latest chipset, which we're probably going to hear. Uh, we're going to hear more about that in October. So this is all a part of it. Um, hey, a single cable that could do a lot more. I think that's pretty cool. And uh, I just want to get rid of the days where I'm like juggling uh, AC adapters with like the little circle pins. I hate them. I think it's the year 2023. We should be moving on from this. So yeah, Thunderbolt 5 seems cool. Do you have any idea for how this might impact the smartphone? industry you know especially after apple (laughs) just upgraded the USB-C. it's uh it's funny because yeah we we just talked about apple's whole move towards USB-C. they don't support thunderbolt at all like um the you have to with an iphone pro iphone 15 pro that supports faster 10 gigabits per second usb 4 but none of the thunderbolt 4 speed so it's just uh we're not really seeing much happening. I think the dream is there. Intel's dream is there. Maybe some Android phone makers can actually do something with this at some point. The thing is Thunderbolt supports a lot of bandwidth. So the idea is for things like external GPUs, uh, potentially AI accelerators, which don't really exist right now, but maybe a thing, like a little box you put on your desk that just soups up your AI performance for certain tasks. Um, that bandwidth is going to be really useful for those people. So that's a thing. I think it's pretty cool, and we'll be keeping an eye on it. Real quick, I want to mention a couple of things that we also reported on. Uh, Marvel Studios VFX workers have voted unanimously to unionize as part of the IATSE union. Um, so that's that's pretty important. Uh, we've talked about the crisis facing the VFX industry and how they are being pushed to work more and work longer hours. 
and not really getting much support from the studios. Like the studios are just pushing. There's not much actual, um, there's not much actually helping these VFX studios and they're getting overworked. And I think some studios have shut down because of this whole workflow. So it's not great. Uh, Mac, I know you like sci-fi stuff. I'm wondering, like, have you noticed that particular fact? And do you think unionizing could, could be something that could help the VFX workers in general? I definitely think unionizing is always a good thing when it comes to highly specified workers like VFX workers. Uh, We should be valuing their work and giving them the platform to make sure that the final product is what what the general public expects it to be. I think we've gotten so far along in CGI effects in mainstream media, so it would be really uh, sucky to, to, to go backwards from here. So I think it's really important that we... We see that unionizing happening now so that we don't, you know, backtrack from all the progress that we've made in terms of technology. Mm-hmm. It is it's funny how sometimes I go back to like movies made in the 2000s and the VFX work looks better because they had more time to sit and focus on it. Uh, even something like, uh, you know, the original Avatar, which was a movie, you know, released, released in the early 2010s. Um, it still looks better than a lot of the Marvel stuff we get because they have the time and the money and the resources really to, it's really time. It's time spent on artistic work that allows things to look very, very good. And the Marvel shows a lot of the superhero movies. It's not just Marvel um, have really suffered from this, I think. So yeah, unionizing is good. Uh, Potentially will lead to better support for these crews too. Also in other news, I want to briefly mention, um, the game industry has been a little uh, has been on fire this week because Unity, the game engine, introduced some new fees. I think nobody liked uh, broadly. Um, the idea a lot of indie developers use Unity to publish their games to build their games, and Unity announced this uh, fee setup where they will charge developers per installation of a game once they meet a certain threshold of two uh, on the Unity Personal and Unity Plus. Uh, services. These are the like subscriptions developers can subscribe to. If you make $200,000 and have 200,000 installs after that, you have to pay a 20 cent per install per game. And nobody liked this. It, it was kind of a mess. Uh, Unity Pro, Unity Enterprise limits are a little higher. Um, it's like a million dollars and a million uh, installs before this stuff triggers. But for developers immediately like saw what the issues were here. Because uh, if you are a small indie developer that has a windfall all of a sudden like your little game has become super popular all of a sudden uh you have to start paying these fees and depending on the price of your game it may not be something you actually can afford if you're doing a free game which is you know generates revenue in other ways uh you may be just ultimately screwed and there were other problems too about like what if some what if some like annoying review bombing gamer just decides to like install and reinstall their game uh, like a hundred times on their computer just to just to hurt you. What if they gather all their friends to, to do that too? That seemed like a potential flaw in the system. Uh, Unity later came back and said that um, they intend to, uh, I believe, I believe like only charge for the first install per user, although that's only the first install for a single device. And I don't know how they're going to track that. Also things like game pass, like will a game developer pay when somebody downloads their game on game pass, the latest statement sounds like unity is going to pass on those costs to Microsoft or the people running those subscription services. Are you a gamer Malak? Like, is this something that you think will affect the way you play any games? Yeah. So I'm not a PC gamer, but I play, I play some, some 
Xbox here and there. Xbox. Have one. you gotten to Vampire Survivors yet? That's like the main. No. For you. And I'm everybody. mostly a Nintendo Switch user. Okay. If I'm being That's on Switch on. now. Yeah. 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 But I've heard about it. I haven't gotten into it. I still haven't even gotten into the new Legend of Zelda game. <laughs> I've been putting that off for some time. Uh, but yeah. Probably for the best because yeah, Tears of the <laughs> Kingdom will just like eat up a hundred hours of your life. Um, yeah. I think it, even. Yeah, I as I think this will specifically affect indie developers. So if you have a Switch and you go play go play Vampire Survivors, that's built on Unity. And this whole like this whole thing, that's a game that sells for like a dollar or like very cheaply. I don't know like how a game like that could survive on this engine moving forward. Unity is trying to f- try very hard to compete with Epic's Unreal Engine. And I think for indie developers, Unity was like the cheaper thing, the easier thing to develop for. But I think a lot of companies, a lot of devs are just looking at this and being like, well, why would I ever make a game in Unity again? Also, because this company has come in and completely changed the terms of their uh, of their actual service. So like somebody towards the end of developing a game thought that they were going to be paying like a certain set of fees towards Unity. Now it's completely different and could be completely infeasible for them. Typically in an engine, you pay like a portion of revenue, right? Like you pay... I don't know. Uh, I, I forget how it works for these specific companies, but you you may pay like 30% per chunk of every purchase, but that's money coming in. So it's at least money you have to pay back. These fees just seem a little, a little arcane. Malak, I know you want to talk about a couple stories when it comes to like the health side of things. So I know you're waiting uh, to hear about the news about when the new COVID vaccine will actually be available. There was news this week that was approved by the FDA. So we know it's like incoming. People are excited to be protected by the latest variant. Any like any word yet from your health side? Yeah. So after the FDA authorized uh, the Pfizer and BioNTech's and Moderna's shots for emergency use authorization, sounds very eerily familiar. Uh, we expect them to be available as early as today. We we haven't heard heard okay. from you know. Does that mean like pharmacies yet. will actually have them today? Well, uh, I think some. It, it depends on. I think they start distributing starting today. But pharmacies like Walgreens, for example, are making appointments available for vaccines starting on the 18th. Um, but yeah, the CDC after they recommended that anyone six months and older gets an updated COVID vaccine, that pretty much greenlit everything for Moderna and Pfizer. Uh, we're still waiting to hear uh, FDA's ruling on Novavax, but. Uh, in terms of availability, hopefully that's like around the corner. It's just a matter of time. Gotcha. And I mean, from your perspective, uh, I I think it must be tough to be a health reporter right now, Malak, and just see like what has happened to public health uh, in this country post the pandemic. Because uh, a lot of people are just saying like, I, will the public ever really trust um, government institutions anymore? Like after everything that's happened? Um this distribution of vaccines, it does seem like uh, the FDA and the government are positioning a little differently. Right now, they're thinking of COVID vaccines like you're yearly shot for the flu or something, right? Like it's a different way of selling it to the public. Right. They're definitely banking on the fact that people will start viewing it as a flu shot. You know, they the FDA even put it out in their statement that they expect it to be renewed every year. Um, will people actually be willing to get the vaccine every year? Who knows? I mean, there's just so much skepticism around the topic of COVID. People have COVID fatigue. And everyone I know in my personal circle has gotten COVID. And it's like, oh, 
whatever. It's like a cold now. Like it's just a normal thing. It's part of our lives. People don't want to, you know, make it out to be as big as it was two, two, three years ago. Mm-hmm. So I think the current stats are like last year, uh, it was around what, 1200 people or 1500 people dying per week from COVID. Now it's down to, uh, 600 people. So just a cool 600 people, a cool, like, you know, over 2000 people a month. Um, it is very weird where things have come but anyway but yeah there's all there's always the, the fear that you know with these new strains like the omicron variant xbb.1.5 it, it has the potential to become a super spreader because it's really good at, at getting people sick but it's not getting as many people sick but only time will tell you know follows around the corner people you know get colds they get the flu and we'll see how covid plays out yeah it's uh, it, it's weird that, you know, a pandemic can just continue because people don't want their vibes to go bad. Like they don't want the bad vibes of admitting that things are dangerous. So anyway, um, I, I think the recommendation to uh, I'm hearing this from a lot of health uh, experts, too, is to uh, once again, start masking up when you're going to crowded spaces. That will also help get these vaccines. Malak, you also tested something that I think um, you know, came about as Dyson. A, you know, a company known for really weird high-tech gadgets. Uh, they wanted to like create the ultimate uh, air respirator, it seemed, or like the ultimate mask. What is the Dyson Zone? So, so Dyson actually released an air filtration slash headphone, like right around the time that the Canada wildfires were were wafting polluted air into cities like New York. So it was a pretty timely drop. If you remember, like the skies were kind of freakishly yellow and orange. Um, so the Dyson Zone is basically a headphone wearable that has a built-in visor that filters out air air pollutants. So it uses an electrostatic filter and an activated charcoal layer that basically removes particulates as small as PM 2.5, PM 10s, things that you can't really see that go into your lungs. And uh, we put this visor to the test and basically, we, we did a collaboration with the Department of Medicine at NYU. Shout out to Dr. Terry Gordon and his PhD students, where basically we used medical grade labs tools, um, a continuous particulate monitor and a particle counter to see how much particles that this zone actually removed from surrounding air. And, it ha- and we tested it in three settings. So we tested it in a clean lab at NYU. We tested it on a subway station a really dirty subway station, and then on the street. And the findings were pretty consistent. The zone actually works. It, it actually filters out the air. Uh, we would see the particle numbers drop. How, how did you test it? Did you have like a part, do you have a detector inside the mask? So I was wearing the actual headphones with the visor and you could run it on three different settings. We did it on the highest setting, which is the highest filtration rate, level three. And basically they stuck this tube up my nose, it, it, not up my nose, but uh-huh, in between uh-huh. my mouth and my nose, the tube that was that was sitting between my mouth and nose was counting how many particles were actually going into my 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 lungs. And it, it, it's super like jargony and science. I'm trying to like figure out how to say it in the best way. Basically, someone held a device, whether it was a particle counter or the particle monitor, um, and and recorded the numbers uh, as the, the visor was turned on and off. And before the visor was turned on, we would see how many particles were in the surrounding air and how much I was breathing in with it off. And then once we turned it on, the particle counter, the part of, 
particulate a monitor would, would basically give us numbers on how much it was actually filtering in that small space between my mouth and my nose. Um, and <laughs> that's cool. I'm glad like we were able to do this more than like a typical product review. So yeah. Some extra yeah. Work here. yeah. It, it was basically like a mini docu series. We made a whole video on it. It's on, it's on YouTube. It's on. Check out, yeah. Check out that YouTube. You also get to have a lot of shots of you on the subway. And uh, it looks like p- people just looking at you like, are you sub zero? Are you people stared at me? People stared at me. Everyone wants to know what it is. And to this day, people ask me, what are you wearing? It is it is a huge pair of headphones. But even though this thing worked, the, the really crappy part about all of it is that it only works for about an hour and a half oh. when it's running on level three. So if the world is ending, <laughs> like you're only you're only getting clean air for about an hour and a half. I mean, there's is- enough clean air to leave New York, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Like maybe. Yeah, um, but I mean, for $1,000... It better work for more than an hour. For $1,000, uh, it should do a lot more. Have you seen any other activated, like, powered masks like this? Uh, we talked about one from Razer, and I don't think they ever actually released it. So, Yeah, I think there there's definitely some competition brewing with, with makers like LG, but nothing at this level just yet. But there there are alternatives that are cheap on Amazon. You could go to Amazon and buy, like, a... A HEPA filter, a portable HEPA filter. Actually, I have an activated fan too. It's like it was yeah. like two hundred bucks, and they used to recommend it for flights. So like that—that's a thing. But you know what, fix? You don't need to spend a thousand dollars on the Dyson Zone. Just get time to stock back up in your KN 95s You know, like stock up in the masks you used to, and uh, just please be safe out there, folks. Uh, something I, I think also infuriating, Malak, is that you wrote about this story about uh, the the realization that vanillafrin, the decongestant. Is, is a lie doesn't actually work the fda finds which i will say infuriates me because there was a study almost a decade ago saying the exact same thing anybody taking cold medicine after they like banned pseudoephedrine um or at least made it harder to get could tell you that this stuff didn't work what is up with this news yeah so ph- phenylephrine which is found in like pseudoephed vix benadryl it's found in cold and allergy medications. It's found in Basically, Sudafed PE. I just want to be right. clear too, because real Sudafed, the real stuff, no, that's Sudafedrin. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, basically, it doesn't work when it's taken orally. Uh, the FDA. <laughs> How FDA, else are you taking? <laughs> I mean, there is a there is a nasal capacity. Okay. You could you could you know spray it Does into that your work? nose. It works. Uh, so the FDA basically wanted to to examine it when it's taken orally versus intranasally and intranasally it works still, but orally it does absolutely nothing compared to a placebo. And that's insane to think because this ingredient, which is in so many cough and cold medications, basically racked in $1.8 billion in sales last in 2022. I hate it. I hate, I hate this whole system. For all the makers. Right? Yeah. So we're, we've been sold a lie for, for years and years. And I, I, this is one of the things I hope the government like steps back up and be like, hey, wait a minute. Did we just let this go on? Like we just let this is why I'm so annoyed at the lack of consumer protections when it comes to health and technology and all sorts of things. But this is a big one. This is you're just like, yeah, you're selling people a lie. These companies have made a ton of money on nothing. Like absolutely nothing. The funny thing is, we don't even know, like, if the FDA is officially going to revoke its right. over-the-counter right. designation. I think they're they're still determining whether or not they're revoking the safe and effective designation that they give these drugs to be over-the-counter. Most likely, it will. But the fact that it's just not an outright decision from the jump is kind of crazy. It makes me so angry. Oh my and god! By yeah. the way, the sales are probably underestimated because they're not even capturing, you know, internet sales or, you know, 
convenience store sales or the sales that they made at Costco, for example. So I, I feel like a crazy person because I've been telling people this for years, like since that whole switch made, since that whole switch happened, it used to be you could get Sudafed or other decongestions with Sudafedrine easily, like right, right from the shelf. And then there were fears that people, you know, people were buying in bulk to make meth basically and other drugs. Because of those fears or because of like that happened a little bit, um, those things got severely restricted. So they are behind the counter now. You can get them. I believe you're limited in terms of how many you could get, but you have to show your your license to write your ID. You have to be in a database basically to get access to these things and uh, you can get them, but they sure are a pain right now. I don't have you. Do you have any personal stories when you realized Phenylephrine was a lie, Malak? I mean, I personally have always never felt like a huge difference when I took those cough and cold medications. And oh, I man. thought I was gaslighting my, I probably was gaslighting myself, <laughs> but I just never really felt a huge relief when I, when I took things like, I don't know, Vic Sinex when I had a it's, cold. It's so, it's infuriating. I, I will never not be angry about this. Uh, also like many things going on in the world right now, but anyway, folks get your real pseudoephedrine. Get your get that if you go to CVS or Walgreens, you can get like a little sticker and you take it to the to the pharmacist or even I think sometimes behind the normal counter. But do the extra work to get the real stuff because that actually actually but, works. Mm-hmm. I mean, people don't need more reasons to not trust the government. <laughs> like every time there's a new story that's in the health world, people raise their eyebrows. What is going on? Like, what is going we can't on? Trust, if we can't trust the FDA to actually it's keep, uh, track, keep tabs on things like this i've like, seen more like, than one person say that basically public health as like a resource has is basically dead for a generation now because of what happened post-covid and everything but anyway that's a whole nothing other has, podcast nothing nothing has felt normal since COVID. nothing has felt normal <laughs> malak i definitely want to get you back on at some point so we could just like talk about the the failure of public health right now uh in america and around the world how about something fun? Let's end with something fun. You wrote about this story. Uh, you wrote about Honda's adorable little Moto Compacto EV electric scooter. It's very cute. Can you describe this thing? It is so cute. It is about like 41 pounds. It looks like a box when it's folded up. It's super, super small. It's a micro scooter. Basically, it's it's putting Honda into a new category of personal use uh, <laughs> electric vehicles or not vehicle i wouldn't call this a vehicle i'd call it a scooter for sure it's still a vehicle it still moves yeah yeah. come on but the thing is this thing only goes for 12 miles so that's new york that'll get you to the top of manhattan from the bottom of manhattan and it takes three and a half hours to charge i mean that's the thing is not super practical maybe it's good for a college student if you live in the city yeah if you live in the city you can fold it up you can you can fold it up and put it on the subway you can fold it up and take it up you know five flights of stairs like i did in my old apartment but i mean this is this is a cute little thing but how practical is it i don't know i mean who's who's the buyer here Who's, I mean, listen, uh, they, they've talked about micromobility as a thing because electric scooters and like rentable electric scooters became a thing in a lot of big cities. One of the nice things New York did is never let those companies like have free reign like they have elsewhere in the, in the U.S. This thing looks really cool. Uh, there is a video of it uh, in your in your report, too. So just just imagine like sitting on a little seat on top of a flat box, not an open box, but a flat box. And it looks you know- Ridiculous. It kind of looks like an Xbox to me. I don't know. It looks like a, it kind of looks like, like an Xbox. PlayStation. Like, I don't know. Like the series X, but tall and very thin. But it has handlebars <laughs> and a tiny little seat. Uh, yeah. It looks it looks adorable. I think it looks really cool. Yeah. 
there's a photo of a woman writing it in, in their press materials, and she literally looks like she's about to fly off. Like she's, She looks she's, like she's about she's, to fly off. Um, she's bigger than the actual thing. I think what weird thing is that photo is not in the not in the reporting because uh, Honda was like, maybe we shouldn't show people actually sitting on this thing. <laughs> uh, there was a late night note from Honda. I was like, uh, mm, maybe <laughs> let's not actually see it in action. Uh, I yeah. think you can see people writing it in the video. It is really thin. Like it looks like something that you can like lean against the wall and charge up. Like if you're in a ultra compact, like tiny apartment. It seems like you would even have room for this thing. So I'm I'm sure there's a weight capacity. I don't know. Just yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know how safe it is. I mean, for for it being nine hundred ninety five dollars, sure, maybe it's like a cute Christmas toy or some not toy. Let's not call it that. But let's not call it a toy. (laughs) Scooter for for your kid or your teenager. E bikes are like a new thing, especially um, they're becoming more and more popular in suburbs and cities because it's easier to get around versus um, versus waiting for the subway or waiting for the bus or something. So, I'm personally like not that. a fan of anything that accelerates super quickly because I have a tendency to fall off of things. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I get it. I totally get it. It's totally dangerous. Um, but hey, this is a cool, cool thing. Um, I see Ben, our producer, has uh, says it looks like one of those sentries from Portal. It does kind of look like that. It looks like it's a really cool sci-fi-esque design. I just think it would be hilarious to see somebody actually writing this. Like, I think it looks more ridiculous than somebody on a Segway. And whenever I see somebody on a Segway, I'm like, oh, yeah, those exist. Those are a thing. (laughs) If I see, like, a mall cop or something on a Segway. Let's move on to what we're working on. Anything you want to mention, Malak, that is coming up for you? I'm working on a guide on budget fitness trackers. I'm looking at a bunch of different... Fitness trackers that are uh, under a hundred dollars, seeing like what's worth your time and money for for that for that little. And I'm also working on. I mean, I've been all over the place. I've been on the news end of things, and uh, definitely a story on Apple and its and its updating health features in the, in the in the coming watch. Something along those lines can be expected, uh, but. A uh, written review of the Dyson Zone will be coming out soon. The video is out, but the the written review will be out soon as well. Yeah. Looking forward to seeing that. Um, real quick, I'm testing Big Screen VR's um, Big Screen Beyond VR headset. Big Screen is a company that has made a, an app for watching movies in, in VR headsets. Now they made their own headset. It is really small. Uh, it's the lightest headset ever made, but uh, I have to still fully set it up and do some testing on this thing. It's unique, but man, it's a thousand dollars and it doesn't come with a lot of the equipment you need to actually run VR stuff. So it is one of those things for like the big VR heads. Maybe it'll be really cool with them. But yeah, stay tuned for my thoughts on that. Let's move on to our pop culture picks. Anything real quick you want to shout out, Malak, that you're watching yeah. or reading? For no reason at all. I just started binge watching this show called The Between on Netflix. It's super old. It's like 2015. It stars. It stars. It's pre pandemic. Anything pre pandemic is is old. It stars Jeanette McCurdy. Uh, It's basically this weird sci fi show about a mysterious disease that kills everyone over 21 years old. And uh, people in this small town are dropping dead if they're over 21. And the government has quarantined them. No one trusts the government. No one knows what's going on. Now you have a bunch of like teenagers and kids running around this this town running the town and it has some interesting political themes um but yeah a lot of a lot of cool i have was, no was idea this, what got this me was uh, actually a netflix show it looks like i don't remember this yes. thing at all i don't remember this ever coming out it's okay yeah i mean <laughs> I, did you, I honestly how did you stumble I, onto this like that's my question where did you I find think, the show 
I was looking for a show like Into the Night, which is this really interesting sci-fi show about people on an airplane that have to keep flying to run away from the killing sun. <laughs> I mean, it sounds ridiculous when I say it like uh-huh, that. Uh-huh. And I put more like this and this came up and I said, you know what? Like I this. like Jeanette okay. McCurdy. I like her book. Uh, I'm glad my mother died. Good book about like a, her crappy uh, childhood celebrity experience. Like, yeah, that's, that's a whole thing. Well, I'm glad you're checking that. Anything else you want to shout out, Malak? You did want to mention House of the Dragons. Oh, so you are yes. watching House of the Dragons, right? Yes, I, I'm a pretty, I'm on the finale right now. I haven't, hey. I've been putting it off because I don't want it to end. It's really good. It started slow. I will say like I was kind of bored in the beginning, but I persevered and I kept through. The plot gets better. It's it's pretty interesting. It won't it's ever a, be yeah. as good as the original, obviously, but it, the, the characters are compelling. The world is compelling. I'm like two episodes from finishing it, and that was like when it came out. So I don't. I gotta get the motivation to go back. Um, okay, thank you so much, House of the Dragon. You're watching it. Uh, this other show that Malaka's watching, and I. I think we're going to have to have some conversations about like, <laughs> how you're discovering things. Have you seen Station Eleven yet? Which I think is the quintessential uh, pandemic kind of related thing. You can, it's you can, on my it, suggestions all the time, though. Put that at the top of your suggestions. Come on. Uh, but yeah, that's on HBO Max. Everybody watch that. Uh, real quick, I want to say I'm catching up on Ahsoka. Uh, you know, we talked a little bit about it here when it premiered. And I thought those first two episodes were a little slow, a little like languorous. Um in episodes three, four, and five, it does really pick up the pace and become more like proper Star Wars. And there are moments where I just want to like get up and clap because there are some great lightsaber battles, uh, great drama. There's a dogfight uh, amid space whales, and the music just started swelling. And I just want to be like, man, this is good. This is so good. This is Star Wars. So Ahsoka is giving me a lot of that joy right now. So I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad it's still happening. Uh, check this out too, Malak. Although I'd be like, we need to have a sit down conversation. <laughs> about things you're watching and things I could recommend to you. Um, because this between show, I'm just looking at it on IMDb. This feels like a cry <laughs> for help. Oh my God. It's probably like a hate watch. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I'm trying yeah, to get yeah. out of reality TV. So uh, this is, I'd rather have something sci fi in the background. The acting is okay, but the idea is there. It's there. Thanks so much for joining me, Malak. This was fun. Our theme music is by game composer Dale North. Our outro music is by our very own managing editor, Terrence O'Brien. The podcast is produced by Ben Elman. You can find me online at, at Devendra on Twitter, at Devendra at MassSound on social, at Devendra on Facebook, uh, you know, everywhere, all the, all the major ones. Malak, where can we find you on the internet these days? You can mainly find me on Twitter, uh, Malak Saleh, or M-A-L-A-K-N-S-A-L-E-H. I had to drop my middle initial. Um, and on Blue Sky, even though I, I am not active, I will I will admit. But mostly on Twitter. It's getting, it's getting better. They just hit a million subscribers. So Blue Sky, okay, cool. Follow Malak, everybody. Uh, email us at podcastsandgadget.com. Leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to anything that gets podcasts. Thanks, folks. We're out.